You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Chad Sanderson. He is managing partner at Value Selling Associates. We're going to talk with Chad about sales. We're going to talk about sales strategy, about how to build out. Sales organizations really kind of think about how do you grow and scale your business and you know how does sales play a role in that? And, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the changes, some of the mindset, some of the practical uh, aspects of you know building an effective sales, not only strategy, but organization and really what does that entail, particularly for service companies. I always find that sales is one of the big challenges when it comes to service companies and, and really growth, you know, getting from a couple million in revenue to a couple hundred million in revenue. You know, you've got to figure that that piece of the business out, and and if you don't, it's it's just going to be a real limiting factor. So I'm excited to have this conversation with that, Chad. Welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time. Let's start with background and experience. Like, how did you get into this? What is the story? And then we can kind of dig into what you do now and and how you help companies. But what was the professional background that you had, or or what was the journey that you went on to get you here? <laughs> yeah, I might go back to our earlier conversation. Actually, um, <laughs> so when uh, when uh, I came out of college, I actually believe it or not, was in marketing. And that was mm-hmm. through no strategic design whatsoever. It was that I came out with an English degree and ended up in marketing. Well. I was in marketing for about nine years, you know, climbed the ladder, was was running marketing for a software company and got my MBA in marketing. And literally 48 hours after I got my, my degree, I'm sitting in a meeting. I look across the table and I go, you know what? These salespeople are solving much cooler problems than I get to solve in marketing. And they're the, making more money. The grass is always greener. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 100%, right? So I'm not lacking any confidence at the time. Uh, walked into the VP of Worldwide Sales Offices and said, hey, you have an open territory that hasn't hit its number for seven years. I want a shot. And he laughed at first and thought, well, you know, who in marketing is going to be able to pull this off? Ooh, uh, and I said, you challenge. know, that, yeah, you can't put the gauntlet in front of me. That's just, <laughs> just don't do that. And so he took a shot. He's like, all right, here's the deal. You know, in sales, it's uh, you hit your numbers or you're fired. It's, you know, risk reward quota, you yeah. know, blah, blah, blah. He's like, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to ensure that you are trained in something called the value selling framework and you have to use it for the first six months or you're working for me. If after that, it doesn't work for you, we'll find something else. And I was like, all right, all right, whatever. I, to me, it felt like a, at the time, it felt like a roadblock. Like mm-hmm. he was trying to slow me down. I was like, all right, yep. fine, we'll do it. So get the training. And I'm a man of my word. So I used it and it changed my perception of revenue generation across the board. And not only that, enabled me as an individual contributor to eventually turn around this territory, Western US and South America, that hadn't hit its number in seven years. I turned it around into one of the top performing territories in 18 months. Now, 
that sounds very self-serving when I tell that story, but f- it, I don't mean it to be. It's much more illustrative of my understanding of what it was going to take to be successful on an individual level. And then as I as my career progressed and I started running global sales organizations, learning how to scale that and being successful more times then I failed, but not by much. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, learned, I learned far more from the stubbing of toes and breaking of arms of my own than I yeah. did from any of the successes. <laughs> breaking other people's arms it, it, is the no, other, not, other no, way to read that. No, no I, didn't, no, I didn't, get, didn't have to go there. But it was it was an amazing progression, and at, you know, ended up selling one company to KPMG, and 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 going back into the digital agency space and, and running another sales and marketing team, and then finally three years ago. That gentleman who trained me 18 years ago now mm-hmm. in value selling called me up and said, hey, you've implemented value selling framework everywhere you go. You tried other things that failed. You keep coming back to us. He's like, you, you're really passionate about it. You should come do this. And so three years ago, decided, you know what? I think I'm going to take a shot at it and started to build my own business doing this. And now I'm lucky enough to be uh, successful in working with some very well-known companies. And for me, the juice, the buzz isn't necessarily the, the revenue or any of that, although that's nice, but it's the being able to watch as these individuals and organizations evolve into truly effective, consistently producing teams, all based around having a conversation that focuses on the buyer journey rather than, hey, I'm really cool. You should buy my stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, and I'm curious to dig into, you know, when we talk about conversation, what does that mean? But yeah, I think anything that takes sales and makes it a repeatable, improvable, scalable process is, you know, I think the path that people want to go down, I think far too long or far too many, you know, companies have spent far too long in kind of this, you know, well, sales is just kind of this black art and Bob over there does it really well. And we just, you know, he makes rain and it it all works. Okay, that's not scalable, right? And I think that's the challenge that so many of the, you know, folks, I'm sure that are listening here, but general folks that are in the service industry, you know, when they go to scale their company, that is such a hard nut to crack in terms of, you know, getting to the next level in the business. How do we think about this as a conversation? How do we think about this as a system? Give us a little insight on what you learned in that process and using, you know, using the tools and using the process that you were trained on and, and implemented. Yeah, the, the challenge, you know, the beauty with scaling a services organization uh, is really around making sure we don't do anything that takes away the authenticity of the individuals. Because in, in a services organization, most mm-hmm. of the time you're selling them, you're selling their level of expertise, you're selling what they can bring to the table. So a lot of processes or methodologies or frameworks, whatever word you want to use, they have a tendency to be inward looking, meaning looking into the organization. How do we provide some type of foundation that's going to allow the organization to scale, but doesn't take into account not only the individual authenticity, but how that individual is going to execute with clients, as well as how are they going to work well with others or consistently across the services organization. Mm-hmm. When we talk about having a conversation, it's a, and it's become even more important over the last couple of years, just because of the way buying habits have changed. But we're talking about having a, a skill set, a tool set, a framework that allows you to consistently focus on what is the other person's view of value and how do I consistently uncover that and then connect what I can uniquely bring to the table or my organization can uniquely bring to the table to solve the problems associated with that. Now, 
it sounds and is extremely simple. And many people, when we first introduce them to this tool set, they go, well, duh. And I'm like, yeah, well done. Well, I think you could also use this as like a relationship strategy. Absolutely. <laughs> like, Absolutely. This, this, this applies to far more than just sales. And this is why, and this is why I have such a hard time with the term, the value selling framework. And, and, yeah. and my CEO has, has heard that before. So, but when we talk about this, it's how do you get two human beings to have a shared vision? Like, it's not the what, like everybody will say, okay, you need to get access to the decision maker, or you need to make sure you understand what they're looking for. Or like there's steps, right? There's a hundred steps, go through these hundred steps and you're eventually going to close a deal or you're going to get something done. That's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is the how, how do I do it? How do I structure and what questions should I be asking consistently to make sure I uncover what the other person is focused on, what their view of the problems and ideal solution set is, and how they're going to quantify the impact to the organization or to themselves. Now, I jokingly say I'm two divorces in, and I've used the value <laughs> selling framework to great success. Uh, I'm good at closing. I'm horrible at account management. But the fact of the matter is, it helps internal alignment too. Yeah. How do you get, you know, if you're in a digital agency, how do you get graphic designers or digital strategists to talk effectively to technologists that yeah. are doing code? If you have a shared framework for having the dialogue that consistently shows you how to uncover what's important to the other person and align what you're bringing to the table, this drives not a framework that robs authenticity, but allows for enough of a foundation that scalability with authenticity completely focused on the buyer or the other individual is possible. Yeah. And how do we do that? I mean, I, I've, I'm sure you know everyone listening here has has been sold to via a script. Right? Yeah. Where it's like, you know, question A, question B, and you can tell they're like literally reading off the script. You know, how do we do this? How do we create this framework or how do we think about this as a framework that that still kind of, you know, allows people to be authentic, allows people to be situational, allows people to be themselves and respond to the situation, but at the same time also giving them some scaffolding to kind of make some decisions and kind of guide them down this conversation. Give us how do you balance this and, you know, not wanting it to be the script and on the other hand Something that is trainable and people can learn, and it's not just some kind of black art that you have to. Yeah, master. great question. Great question. So, the value selling framework, the, the, the key word there is framework. And it really has one primary tool. It's a tool we call the value prompter. It's not a script. It's literally, think of it as a communication GPS. It's a map on how to, and, and it's very simple. It's one sheet of paper or half sheet of paper, really. Mm -hmm. And it basically doesn't say, ask this question or ask that question. It says, just approach it in this way. So you understand where you are in the organization. You're going to ask maybe an open-ended question, a probing question, and a confirmation question. I'm not going to tell you what those questions are. You mm -hmm. would ask the questions differently than I would. Mm -hmm. But what I can show you is how if you keep this mental model in mind, it becomes a map for the conversation. So for example, if you were to ask a chief digital officer, what's the number one thing you're focused on right now? And that in our parlance is kind of an open-ended business issue question. What we're looking for is the primary thing they're focused on. Now, a lot of people are going, well, yeah, it's common sense. Get it. Okay. So maybe they say, you know what? I've been tasked with increasing, let's say leads across digital channels 20% in the next six months. Okay, great. What problems are getting in the way? Well, my team doesn't understand this new channel that we're looking at. We don't have any way to track data analytics. I don't necessarily have tools. So it's, a, it's really time intensive for us to put campaigns and things like that out. They're giving you a list of their view of the problems. 
and you're listening, ideally listening, which is hard for a lot of salespeople, but listening <laughs> and collecting this. And then, and then you know what you don't hear them say is you don't hear them say they don't have an ideal customer profile, an ICP. So you might ask a probing question like, well, are you struggling to focus your efforts around a specific persona or ICP? And the CDO might say, yeah, yeah, I'm having that problem too. Okay, well, we just expanded out their view of the problem. Because what they gave us first was what they were thinking of. Mm -hmm. And now what I want to do is I want to confirm back to them. All right, so what I hear you saying is, and I'm going to just recap what they said to me using their language, make sure we have all the problems. Then I'm going to ask them what they think the solution should be. And if they say, well, I don't know, that's why I'm talking to you. Well, excellent. I'm going to ask them questions, probing questions, Mm -hmm. to help them confirm they actually want solutions to the problems they told me about. Because I don't know about you, Bruce, but I have friends that when you ask them a question, they tell me a lot of things that are problematic, but they don't really want them solved. That was a hard (laughs) lesson to learn, by the way. So the same thing is true in sales, right? So, so we go through this and all it is, is a, it is a box. It is a value prompter that helps you make sure you know what you're hearing, what information you're collecting and make sure you're not missing anything. We want to reduce the risk of there being misalignment in a shared vision, whether it be with a client, whether it be with a prospect, whether it be with sales and marketing, whether it be with sales and execution, making sure that there is a consistent way of having the conversation. And again, allowing the authenticity to come through because the way you ask the questions or the situational questions you might add around it, that's all you. That's a represent, mm-hmm. representation of what you're bringing to the table. But if we can ensure that everybody's using that same kind of framework, we now have a, a foundation for scalability that is unprecedented, especially in a services organization. Yeah. Well, and I'm, there's an interesting concept that you brought up there, which I, I think is certainly hurt or cause a lot of pain for a lot of organizations is they don't fully understand the problem or they don't fully understand kind of the factors associated with the problem. So they get a couple of pieces of it and they understand, oh, that's a problem. And here come some of the considerations or some of the things that are going to drive value for them. And so they craft this, you know, proposal, the solution, this engagement, you know, based on what they know, but they failed to get the other two or three pieces that are also really important. And now their proposal doesn't work because it didn't address these other things. So how do you make sure that you really have really kind of, you know, done a full loop or a full, you know, gone through the process completely to identify all the kind of components and not just kind of jumped on the first two or three that come up and saying, <laughs> oh, I can, I can solve that. Let me go yeah. write a proposal. Let me give you to this. And then having a, you know, not work because it, didn't, <laughs> it wasn't full. Yeah. I jokingly say with our clients, you know, salespeople, when they hear one problem, they think they can solve, they don't even think right. about the solution. They start calculating commission. Yeah. And so, so what we really want is people to slow down, right? Because if, yeah. if you take one problem and you head off to solve it, you just shrunk the size of your deal. Yeah. And so what we spend a lot of time with is we want people to become problem experts. And so there are techniques like using the open probe and confirmation, those questions in, in order, kind of the way I laid out. Th- that's a very specific reason for that. It's based off of a whole bunch of neuropsychology. But there's also another technique we use called clean the plate, right? Which mm. is after I've confirmed back everything they told me, I'm going to say, okay, is there anything we missed? Anything else we might want to consider? Now, this accomplishes two things. Number one, it gives the person having the conversation a, a, a slowdown point. Like I have a goal that I need to hit, so it keeps me hopefully from running off the rails to the calculator on commission. But it mm-hmm. also allows the person you're talking to to actually think through one more time. Did I, did, is there anything else? Because what happens is the first time you ask somebody, Hey, what problems are getting in the way? They're going to rattle off a bunch of stuff that they've come up with before. 
Yeah. And so when you confirm back what you heard from them, that may be the first time they are actually hearing it Oh yeah, in that order. So that may be the first time they're getting the 100% focus that you want. So by using that technique of cleaning the plate of saying, is there anything we miss? Is there anything else we should add? It becomes a huge value add in terms of making sure we're spending that time uncovering all of the elements of the problem. The second thing I would say is each value prompter that we use is based on an individual I'm talking to. So if I go back to that example of a CDO who has to increase increase leads 20% across all digital channels in the next six months, that CDO is going to have a different view of the problems that are keeping him or her from achieving that than if you were to talk to a director of social media that might also be in the digital realm. Mm. And so what we're doing is we're consistently having this conversation with multiple individuals in the organization. So we're uncovering more problems across the org than any one individual may have been able to articulate. This allows us to show more impact to the organization as a whole, as well as ensure the individuals that we've talked to have been heard, engaged with, confirmed that there are elements of there. And it allows us to provide a solution that is often much larger uh, than you know if I ran off after I heard that first problem. Yeah. I mean, it, it really just, it opens the doors to you know, a, big, a bigger engagement, you know, a larger, larger sale. I guess, tell us more about the framework and what does it take to actually master this? Is this, you know, do you have to study, you know, for months on end? Is this, you know, do you, is, is this take, uh, you know, hundreds of hours to kind of learn? What's, what's the process of actually mastering the framework, mastering this approach? Yes. So I, I've been using it for 18 years and I'm, I would say that anytime I, work with somebody else, I get to learn a new aspect of application. Yeah. However, it is ridiculously simple. So in you go, go through one workshop, you can start applying it. When we when we work with clients and we run people through the workshops, they're working on real accounts. They're working, they're they're doing things that they're applying right away. It's not it's not complex equations. It's not a great deal of overhead. It literally takes what most people are already doing, at least in part, and makes it consciously competent. So after the span of a workshop, you can start to apply it right away. Then it's just practice, right? It's just, yeah. it's, it's getting used to it, getting comfortable with it. It's not overwhelming or heavy at all. So we have clients that we work with, and some of them will start to see results within five days of having gone through the, the workshops with their teams. Depending on the level of complexity of the sale, it may be a little bit longer, but not much. Because one of the things I would never put up with and would never want anybody else to have to put up with is what we call a rip and replace approach. So we want to make sure we're amplifying any investments you've made to this point. So everything we do is kind of customized for each customer, but the outcomes are very similar. right? Because because it isn't... The hardest part is, is helping them change the mindset. It's just yeah. a, it's such a subtle shift that most people it's so subtle they don't even realize it happens until after they've had their first conversation with a customer trying to use the framework or keeping that in mind and then they see the difference and all of a sudden the light bulb comes on right and, so and what is that mindset shift give us give us a kind of a, a description of where where people start or where where the mindset is most of the time and where you need to take it to so most of the time like if you think about organizations you know you hire people doesn't matter what role you hire them there's an onboarding process right so they come in and what do we tell them we tell them how cool we are we tell them we have drink our kool-aid these are the yeah. services we offer this is all the cool stuff we did look at all the outcomes that we've produced for people let's go talk about us and then we're surprised when people want to walk out into the world and talk about us first and so what is this subtle mind shift is 
is this is not about us. This is not about us as a salesperson. This is about solving someone's problem the way they've articulated it. So yeah. it turns it into a truly, I think a buying process, a, a buying um, value buying process is probably more accurate way to describe this approach because you're trying to align two people to have a shared vision of what success is and an agreed upon approach on how to get there. And it starts by focusing on and asking questions. We like to say statements create conflict, questions uncover solutions. Mm. And so we want to ensure that we're not creating friction. Um, one of my one of my clients, for anybody who's interested, if you go to the valueselling.com website uh, and scroll down to the middle, there's a company called Bounteous. They are a services company, rather large services company. And I've been working mm-hmm. with them for a couple of years now. And the beauty of this framework is that they started to see results before the work, first workshop was even over. And we since have trained the entire organization because it increases, it increases the efficiency of communication internally. They were kind enough to put a video together for us on that. It's not, I'm not trying to sell anybody. Just if you want a reference of how it applies and how fast it starts to happen, sometimes it's easier to hear it from people we've worked with and to hear it from me. Yes. And I'm curious about this internal side because I, I get the, you know, working with a prospect and helping them really kind of understand what their problem is and what the what the value of solving is going to be and do they really want to solve these things like really helping them I'm almost like consulting with them on the buying process you know making sure they're going to make it the right decision and that whatever you're going to do and whatever they choose to engage in is really going to help them how does it how does it help the internal side like once you have once you have this framework how do you apply it on the inside to you know, align sales and account management and delivery and accounting yep. and all the pieces, all, all the different stakeholders, internal stakeholders that go into delivering on, on engagement. Yeah. So think think about it like this. So everybody in a services organization has has heard the phrase. There's a huge difference between sales and and reality <laughs> in terms yeah. of what's been sold and what could happen. Part of our approach is that in sales, they're developing with the client and probably with the help of subject matter experts from inside, inside the organization, a mutually agreed upon plan, right? They develop it together. It's part of the follow-up. It's not, again, not only complex, but this then becomes the basis for handoff. So now I, as a salesperson, can go to my delivery team and I can say, hey, here's what this CDO is focused on. These are the problems they want to address Here's what what they said they want to see in the solution and other elements that we added to it together as we went through the sales process. Here's how they're going to measure success. Here's who the individuals are that are involved. And here's the steps they want to take and, and that we've already outlined. And in this in this plan, hey, here's the here's the project kickoff. So now I have a very consistent handoff to say my project manager or my delivery team, right? And so they can go back to the customer. They can help using that. They can help manage the client inside of the bounds of what was agreed upon previously. But let's say I'm internal and I'm competing for, I'm on the delivery side and I need some marketing assistance. I need, I need help from a designer or something. And I go and I ask for the help and they're like, you know what? I'm too focused on something else right now. We don't have the time. I can use the same conversational approach. Well, tell me what you're focused on. What's getting in the way? What do we need to do to solve it? How are we going to measure it? If we can do that, can I get this? Right. So it becomes a checklist. Um, I, hate, I hate that word check. It becomes a it becomes a map. Heuristic. Yeah. Yeah. It's a heuristic yeah. for making sure that we are consistently uncovering, even internally, what is the thing that marketing's been tasked with? What is it that the project managers, how are they measured? How are they being judged on success? Is it is it project profitability? Is it execution? Is it what is it? How are the technical people or how are the analytics people? You know, what are, what is their view? Like if you've ever, I mean, it's interesting because I've probably trained more 
data analysis people and graphic designers in Q4 last year than I did salespeople. Because it's, <laughs> it's how do you get these disparate specialties, these people that have amazing yeah. levels of expertise. And it's very difficult sometimes when you have that level of expertise to communicate effectively with someone who doesn't have the same shared depth of context. Not to say that somebody can't get it, but it takes a lot of time to explain the intricacies of user-centric mm-hmm. design versus you know, scaled agile or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. Whereas all we need to do is understand the person, what the person's focused on, the problems and their view of the solution, how they're going to measure success and how we get them across the finish line. So it works internally to serve as a way to connect those what are often siloed practices into a cohesive team with a shared vision, because now I not only know what I have to do in order to get the resources I need for my project internally that I'm trying to sell, but when I'm working with the customer, now my entire team knows what the goal is. Now my entire team knows this is what I am focused on in order to ensure this customer is successful, and my role in it is this. So it becomes a very nice, I like the word heuristic, to Mm -hmm. ensure that everybody's on the same page. And like I said, you can use it. We have companies that use it for executive alignment, QBR readouts, organizational alignment. You name it, it, it's probably been used. But it's the same tool. Yeah. And if everybody has the same map, then we can get to where we're going a lot faster together. It's interesting. I mean, I, I do most of my work with with CEOs and leadership teams on strategy and strategy execution. And it, it is, in essence, what I do. <laughs> right? Because it's about, like, how do I create, for that team, how do I help them basically create a very clear understanding of where they want to be, what does success look like, how are we going to measure it, and then how do I work together as functional leaders to understand how our jobs stitch together to achieve those results. And the first thing I say, like if you want something from somebody else, the first thing you have to understand is what are they trying to do and how can you make sure that you help them and you help them, they will help you. And you have to create that kind of that, that global kind of view of what everything else is going on and how do you fit into it and how do you help everyone? Because if you go into this with a me, 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 you know, kind of attitude, you're, you're not going to last long. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It has to be. And, it, and it's hard, right? I mean, let's, I mean let's, let's just be honest. I mean, anybody who has young children or, or I mean, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, but anybody who has Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, now you got TikTok coming out of you know, nowhere, oh, damn, Twitter. Yeah. Like, here's all these things that really become, I kind of jokingly call it the duck-lipped society of me, me, me. Like, I'm going to take these pictures of myself and post them online. We are in a world where, and you could even see with some of the things that are going on in the US right now, this is all about me, 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 me. What we're asking is slow down, take a breath, understand the other person's perspective. And as these social norms and, and trends continue, individuals' ability to do that on a consistent basis, which is the key. It's all about consistency they, it is, is limited. And yeah. so this becomes a great way to drive that alignment, give them the tool set on here's how you slow down mm-hmm. and connect to another human being's perspective and do it in a way that's going to generate a win-win situation for all involved. Yeah. Yeah. No, I laugh. You were talking about the um, the Instagram and all the things. If I, if I really want to piss off my kids, I just, I talk about Insta-snapping things. <laughs> <laughs> And they just they get all they get all confused. Yeah, no, it's it's hard because I mean it's is at some level kind of evolution or a, um, a self awareness, uh, a mindset, kind of personal growth journey you need to go on, or, or you need to kind of evolve at some level to get that point of being able to hold that other person's kind of situation in mind. And I, I can I just I can imagine some of the challenges you have in teaching this system, teaching this philosophy, because at some level it's a you know it's it's a maturity or it's a helping people actually. 
be more empathetic, be more compassionate, be more, you know, being able to put themselves in, in other people's shoes and really appreciate that and ask the questions and, and quite honestly, be curious. I mean, I think a lot of people, they'll ask those questions and in their mind, they're going to think about, okay, what do I say next? <laughs> yeah, they're not listening. <laughs> you know, listening. Yeah, yeah. They're not listening. And that's part of it. Part of the key for the framework is when we talk about confirmation, when we ask confirmation questions, the key is to use the words that you just heard, not yours. What people have a tendency mm-hmm. to do is translate it. They translate it into my company ease, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. you said this. What you mean is this. No, 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 We want active listening. And active listening requires using their language. So you have to stay focused. The hardest part is is the mind shift. It, it is the... Yeah is the realization that something that is so simple and so common sense is unfortunately very far from common practice. Yeah. And so getting them to the point where, you know, I can I can tell you that it works. I can actually show you how it works. We can do that together, but you have to be willing to try something that's just a little bit different. I'm not asking you to run a marathon. I'm asking <laughs> you to walk to the mailbox and not step on cracks in the sidewalk versus just yeah. walking. You know, it's that simple of a change. Yeah. But for a lot of people, that that can be a bit of a hurdle. But that's part of why working with them allows them to get over it. And the minute they get, you know, in class, I ask them, I say, for those that are skeptical, I want you to go home tonight between day one and two. I want you to try this with your significant other. Just ask yeah. them. Ask them about their day. Ask them what the number one thing they're focused on. Ask them. Go through this questioning. You just put it on the table. They won't know what it is or just think about it. And it's amazing when they come back to like, holy cow, like no idea, like the look on my significant other's face and then what they said about, wow, that was an amazing conversation. They're like, okay, I'm in. Right. And it works yeah. in personal life. It works inside of organizations. It works with clients. I use it when I'm, when I'm trying to vet contractors to work on yeah. house and stuff. I mean, it just becomes a nice way to consistently be the best version of myself and have something to lean on. So even when I'm having a crappy day, maybe a pandemic breaks out or I got more divorce <laughs> papers or something, I don't know, <laughs> having a crappy day, I still know that if I lean on this framework, I'm going to be able to operate at optimal efficiency. I'm curious, do you ever get called out? Does anyone ever tell you, oh, you're value selling me right now? Like, stop um, it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's a great question. I have had, because we have a lot of repeat customers, right? We have a, we have a, a lot of people that have been trained and that go on to other organizations and, and bring us back in. Um, sure. They will call us and they'll say, hey, Chad, here's my business issue. Here are the problems. Here's what I want in the solution. Here's how I'm going to measure the success. Here are the individuals involved and here are the steps I want to take. And I just, I kind of go, okay, that's cute. And then I have to run them through it again because I know what they're, what they're sending me is all the assumptions. But when you know the framework, it becomes very easy to mm, not make it sound scripted. Yeah. And so I've had clients who have been where we've trained their team and then their team goes out and they're trying to sell, unbeknownst to them, to somebody else who was actually trained by us. I have had clients in early stages get called out. Hey, you guys just got trained on value selling, didn't you? Um, <laughs> because you know, the first but time out like of the it. gate, it's very, <laughs> it, it's very easy to discern. Yeah. But in once you get comfortable with it, it's just having a natural conversation and yeah. just knowing where you are in the conversation. So it's very hard to detect. So I haven't personally been called out, but I have had clients where like, you know, first week or two, they go out, they're trying to sell somebody who's also been trained. They're like, ah, yeah. that sounds like value selling. And then they'll go, who trained you? Because they trained <laughs> us too. They, you know, so they start talking about the facilitator. 
That's funny. So if, if people want to like try this or you know kind of experiment with some of the things you're talking about, what would you suggest? Like what's kind of a, a thing that someone could start doing to start really kind of playing around with this idea or, or start to use this this approach? I'd say the first thing you want to do is you want to just ask somebody what's the number one thing they're focused on and see if you can get them to give you a time-bound quantifiable answer. So if I'm working with a prospect, I'll go back to that CDO and they and I say what's the number one thing they're working on? Oh, I got to increase leads. Oh, okay. How how do you what kind of leads? Well, it has to be across digital channels. Okay, well how, how much is there a metric for success? Oh yeah, I need a 20% increase. Okay, and is there a time frame? Yeah, I need it in 6 months. Okay, if you can get time-bound and quantifiable, you now have what we call a business issue. And then just ask what problems are getting in the way. And see what they tell you. Confer, open, probe a couple of times, you know, natural conversational stuff, and then confirm back what you hear. It will change. Just that little piece will change the dynamic of the relationship you have with a prospect. That's great. That's great. Chad, if people want to find out more about you, about uh, value selling, what's the best way to get that information? Uh, you can hit me on LinkedIn, just at Chad Sanderson. You can also, if you want, hit valueselling.com. You can submit a request there. Just mention that you want to talk to me. Um, mm-hmm. Or you can shoot me an email. It's just chad.sanderson at valueselling.com. Awesome. I want to make sure that the, the links and the uh, email address and everything is in the show notes so people can click through, get that information. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I mean, great insights. Obviously, you know, a, a great kind of strategy approach, but I think even just getting people to think a little bit about the mindset is going to help, yep. you know, probably three quarters of the people listening to the podcast. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, certainly I'd encourage everyone to kind of check out the system and, and get into details because I, I think that this is one of the big challenges that most service companies has when they go to scale and, and any kind of system that really kind of makes this repeatable and structured is going to help you. And, and obviously this one has been highly effective for a lot of organizations. So I highly encourage people to check it out. Thank you so much for taking the time today, Chad. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, Bruce. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.